0: Okay. So I'm glad you're here. I want to tell you this funny thing that happened to me. It was the morning after Yom Kippur. So you're you're hoping like, okay, Yom Kippur, the year has started and it's like, let's go. So I receive a text early in the morning, like at around, I don't know, 6.30 in the morning. And let me just give you a little bit of background for a moment. With two close friends of mine, we came up with this idea for a program, this all-night filmmaking party to be had in Brooklyn that we want to do. Like, you stay up all night and you make a movie and at 5 p.m. we'll have a big barbecue and then screen whatever you made, right? And we'll start the previous night and just work all night and, and it's going to be great. So Godwin will we'll be able to launch that and do that this year. God willing. So anyway, one of the people said, oh, you know, there's this organization, and I won't mention their name, but they're one of the most or the most charitable organizations in terms of supporting Torah programming throughout the world. Okay, they're amazing, 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 amazing. And he said, I'm talking with them already. I'll mention this program to them, and I think they're going to love it. So, okay, great. So that was like right around Rosh Hashanah time. So early in the morning after Yom Kippur, and it's been a great Yom Kippur, and so I get this text. Hi, David, the person's name, from this organization that I just mentioned. I want to fly in for a conference. And I'm thinking, wow, I can't believe it, you know? It's like, Yom Kippur, let's go! You know, like, a top guy from the most charitable organization like maybe in the world for this type of stuff wants to fly in to meet with me? Okay. Starting off the year pretty good. Like, and I'm thinking that this must be connected with that program that I just told you about. But then I kind of look him up online and he's like a head of education and I'm thinking, well, maybe he heard one of my talks or something like that and he's got some kind of exciting idea and all right this, this is this sounding pretty good so anyway i was on my way to the morning prayer so i text him back let's be in touch afterwards so i call him when i get back and and he says yeah okay great so so yeah so the conference is october 4th and october 5th and i'm going to be flying in and i'm like well, wait a second wait a second wait a second the the, the conference what, what conference and he says, "Oh, for for Jewish educators, there are going to be twenty, thirty Jewish educators flying in." And I'm thinking, "That sounds good, you know. Th- okay, it's a, but it's an but wait, he hasn't invited me yet." And I said, "Well, why it? Where's it? Where's it going to be?" He says, "It's going to be in the fi- Five Towns area, you know, in New York." So I'm thinking, "Okay, for, for, I'm, I'm sure I can make that work." So he says, "I'm going to be flying in from from Miami," and I'm thinking okay, I'm not exactly sure why he's sharing that with me, but but okay, all good. And he said, and I want to meet some friends in Philadelphia first. And now I'm thinking like, 2nd he hasn't even invited me to this conference. Does he think I'm a travel agent? He's talking to me like I'm a travel agent. So I said to him, do you think I'm a travel agent? And he said, aren't you David Sachs, the travel agent? And I said, I said, no. He goes, oh, wait, are you that other David Sachs? He goes, oh, yeah. He said, you spoke for some of my students one time at the University of Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Uh, You gave a good speech, you know. So anyway, we talked some more and who knows, actually, you made an introduction to me on a totally different topic for something else. who knows? I, Rabbi, Rabbi Green once said to me that one of the holiest things in the world are wrong numbers. He said because how can you explain them? <laughs> Most of the time, it's also like, oh, sorry, wrong number. So they're even more mysterious. Here, at least, we had a conversation after the fact, but I thought it was uh, thought it was pretty, pretty funny. Uh, anyway. These are some of the most special days of the entire year. These are called days without sin, believe it or not. I mean, they're the holy, pure days between Yom Kippur and Sukkot. And um, they're four days in between. And they say that correlates with the four letters of Hashem's holiest name, the Yudke Vovke. So we're in this amazing zone right now. And uh, just kind of breathe in the air, appreciate it, love it. You know, your, 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 your soul is sparkling and... Uh, just, it's no coincidence that we're going um, from Yom Kippur into this time period of the year Sukkot, which is called uh, Zman Simchasen, which means the time of our joy. And there's so many ways to understand that, but but just I think on the on the clearest level, you know, Reb Shlomo says something so so beautiful, and I think about this all the time, and it's very deep, but just totally just accessible which is you don't need a reason to be happy it's this is really such wisdom you don't need a reason to be happy you know so often of so often so often we just wonder like we, we need permission from ourselves to be happy something's got to be going right in our in our life right i I got a new job or I'm dating someone or, you know, I had some sort of happy occasion like there's been a baby or a marriage or, or something, something, you know, I, I need a reason to be happy. But you don't need a reason to be happy. And not only that, the Rebbe Nachman of Breslov I saw says that that if you kind of are in this place of clarity, in this grounded uh, place, That natural zone of a human being is happiness. So if that's the case, in other words, if you, when you're most yourself, are happy, then that's absolute proof that you don't need a reason to be happy, because that's your sort of default setting, if you will. Now, with that in mind, listen to this awesome, awesome, awesome teaching um, from Rob Frimmer in the Eretzvi. And he says, do you, do you know how to tell if you have clarity? Right? Because hopefully these, these days are not just kind of cleansing our soul and everything like that. But, but the best case scenario is that we're gaining clarity again. There's this phrase that I heard one time, which is mission creep. And mission creep means when you slowly, slowly go off course. And oftentimes, you a person slowly goes off course because they forget what their mission was. So they call it mission creep. You're creeping away from your mission. And it's a very slow incremental thing. So one of the great things about Rosh Hashanah, Kippur, Sukkot, this whole block is that we're able to kind of like drill back down, remember the big picture, remember just why we're here, what we're doing, and then we can get back on track. So with that in mind, let me tell you what, um, what Rav Frimmer says in the Eretzvi. He says, do you know how to tell if you have clarity if you're giving thanks? Isn't that amazing? That, that's how to know. If you're giving thanks, that's the sign that you have clarity. Which means that if you're not giving thanks, you don't have clarity. Isn't that amazing? I mean, do you, do you know how much of life has just been summed up in that teaching? You know, it's so good. I'm going to say it again. Do you know how to tell if you have clarity? Because we need clarity. We're not getting anywhere without clarity. We're just going off course without clarity, okay? We're spinning our wheels. So we need to know, what is the litmus test? Okay, again, how do I know if I have clarity? If I'm giving thanks. That's it. If I'm in a place of thanks, I'm in a place of clarity. And if I'm not in a place of thanks, then I don't have clarity. It's, it's natural. I think our, we're, we're just sort of almost hardwired to, to think in the following way, which is that here I am, here's the world, here are my problems, and I'm just kind of sorting through them. But one of the kind of biggest sort of like thoughts I ever had in my life was realizing there doesn't have to be a world. No one made God make a world. In other words, there doesn't have to be a world. There doesn't have to be a you. None of this has to exist at all. So, so yeah, wow. I mean, I even get to exist, right? I even get to exist. So, So once you begin to think that way, then you're just kind of looking around and just appreciating the good. Wow, there's you know, if I didn't exist, there wouldn't be this. If I didn't exist, there wouldn't be that. And I want this and I want that. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for making this, and thank you, God, for making that. And now I've got clarity again. Now, listen to this. He goes further. He says, Because we say you have to be in a place of giving thanks. So, what does it mean to give thanks? So, here's another massive. Massive idea that's kind of summed up. Thanks is recognizing that everything in your life comes from Hashem. Thanks is recognizing that everything in your life comes from Hashem. It's interesting because I, I personally would not have necessarily given that as the definition for Thanks. But, but that's that's what it is, you know. It, it's so important for people to have, you know. It's it's not such a Jewish word, so I'm not so crazy about it, but but I'm going to use it anyway because it's a good shorthand. Everyone's got to have certain mantras in their head, and by mantras I mean certain customized things that you're telling yourself, like because a lot of times the mind just goes toward anxiety or it kind of just gravitates toward. Free floating anxiety, whatever it is, free floating anxiety means you're anxious, but you don't know why exactly. By the way, if you're experiencing that, it's important to just sort of stop and say, why am I experiencing this? And try to nail down what it is. Oh, I owe that person a phone call. Oh, I didn't answer that email. Oh, I have to, this is kind of on my plate. I promised to do this. I have to do it. Then once you can narrow it down to an actual event, it's not free-floating anxiety anymore. Now you say, okay, I have to do this or that. And then once I do that, you, you should feel better. Okay, so that's just a very important life management tool right there. Anyway, this idea of, of, of having a mantra and, and customizing your, your mantras... And lately, I've been finding myself just saying, "Like everything is as it's supposed to be." <laughs> I don't know why. I don't. I, I don't remember intentionally sort of like customizing that, like writing that down or something like that. Like this is, will be a good thing to tell yourself, David. You know, I, I don't remember saying that, but and yet I find myself saying that over the last uh, couple of weeks. Everything is as it's supposed to be. And it's had a very calming effect on me, but but where is that coming from? It, it it's really very in line with this teaching from Rav Frumer, that what is thanks, recognizing that everything in your life comes from Hashem, and if you can sort of like put every all all that's coming in your life under the heading of thanks. In other words, it, it's all falling under the category of thanks, then you're sort of like taking all the events of your life and you're bringing them to a recognition of God and thanks because God is guiding you and this is how he's guiding you. And then you have clarity again, right? So so I think all these things are great. Now, in terms of clarity, I want to just throw in another amazing teaching that I came across um, from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, which I think is just another home run. Um, he said, how can you tell what your purpose is in life? Right? Just another one of these enormous questions, but elegantly and succinctly answered um, by Rabbi Sachs. Unbelievable. Uh, listen to this. He says, how do you know, how how can you tell what your purpose in life is? Where what you want to do meets what needs to be done. is that good? I'll say it again. How can you tell what your purpose in life is? Where two things intersect. What you want to do meets what needs to be done. And... You know, he he kind of elaborated and said that he had several false starts in his life, that he wanted to be an economist, he wanted to be a philosopher, he wanted to be a professor, all these things. And then eventually he realized that really what he wanted to do was to be a rabbi. and, and, And it all came together. So, in other words, this knowing what you want to do, and where that meets what needs to be done, this this can be a process within ourselves. And he was acknowledging the, the, the process element of it. But, but I thought it was a beautiful formulation. Because look, all of us are pieces to this like epic puzzle, right? It's not just all the people who are in the world right now. It's all the people who ever lived. It's this enormous puzzle. And each of us are puzzle pieces within it, which means that for us to really feel, feel fully fulfilled. We can't just be wanting to do kind of like what we enjoy, although each of us had been given certain gifts, and we should be doing what we enjoy. That, that's a good thing. That's a, that's a great thing, in fact. But there's this extra element where we're also pieces in this grand puzzle. And if we want to feel fully fulfilled, we'll know that it's not just... What I want to do isn't just some kind of like narcissistic enterprise, but, but rather it's it's fitting into the you know the grand plan of bringing f- perfection into the world, right? That that's ultimately satisfying. So when those two things come together, um, Reb Shlomo said it this same thought actually, in in a, in a very different language, but but also totally beautiful. So let me just review that with you because it's one of my favorite teachings from him. So it says in the Gomorrah that when you're in your mother's stomach, an angel comes and teaches you the entire Torah, right? And and then just a PS, when we're born, it, it strikes us, an angel strikes us on the lip, right? That's that little indentation between your upper lip and your nose. and uh, and And you forget. You forget. So... So really, life isn't just about learning Torah. It's really about remembering Torah. Or or let's put it this way, that when you hear Torah, it's going to resonate so deeply. And why? Because it's what you knew from the very, very start. It's like engraved on you from the very, very start in the deepest, deepest way. And you'll know because it's going to have that that total resonance. So, so here was Reb Shlomo's question. He said, "If you're, if, if when we were all at Mount Sinai. So remember, it says God says all of you are here, and and the the explanation of all of you are here was not just everyone who is alive, but everyone who is ever going to live." And also, anyone who was ever going to become Jewish, let's say you were born in non-Jewish, you grew up non-Jewish, but you become Jewish, you were at Mount Sinai. (laughs) Your soul was at Mount Sinai. So everyone who was alive, everyone who was ever going to be Jewish was at Mount Sinai. Their souls were at Mount Sinai or your bodies were at Mount Sinai. Everyone was at Mount Sinai. Okay, so here's Reb Shlomo's question. If everyone already got the Torah at Mount Sinai, why do you need it to get it why do you need to get it again in your mother's womb? <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Fantastic question. And his answer is because there's this national mission that the Jewish people have been destined to perform to be a light unto the nations, right? That's our national mission. That we got at Mount Sinai. But your individual mission, what you personally have to do, that you get in your mother's womb. Okay, do you see how this is exactly what Rabbi Jonathan Sachs was teaching in a different language? How do you know your purpose in life? Where what you want to do intersects with what needs to be done. Right? Because you have your individual gifts and they intersect with like, the global mission of the world, which is the perfection of the world. Okay. So so in order to kind of like be tuned in, you need clarity. You need clarity. And to have clarity, we need to be in a state of thanks. That's when we're going to do our best thinking. That's when we're going to see life the clearest. Okay. So now... Let me add one more element and then we're gonna go deeper. I just want everyone to to know that Yom Kippur going into going into sukkis, clarity and purity going into happiness. It's just it's it's like like you think you can't get higher. You can't get higher than Yom Kippur. And then we get higher with sukkahs. Do you know what Rav Frumer says? The most exalted teaching. He says, when you walk into your sukkah, you're walking into the Garden of Eden. Can, Can you do better than that? Is there a better teaching than that? When you walk into your sukkah, you're walking into the Garden of Eden. Awesome. Awesome. So... What happened on Yom Kippur? A very important historical event happened on Yom Kippur, which makes Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, by the way. On Yom Kippur, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses comes down on terra firma, meaning on firm ground, on the bottom of the mountain with the rest of the people, comes down with the luchos, with the tablets themselves. Now, Take a moment to appreciate the importance of that, because that wasn't the case by when, when we When the Torah was first given, before Moshe arrives back down with the tablets, he smashes the tablets. Which means that the complete giving over of the Torah was not fully given over because the tablets were smashed the first time. We accepted the Torah. We were obligated by the Torah. But there was this extra step that didn't take place. On, on Well, it's, I'll tell you the date. It was the 17th of Tammuz. And w- what happened on the 17th of Tammuz? We worshiped the golden calf, right? It was this major epic disaster that just threw the history of the world off course. And of course, kind of like a subheading, it kind of gets buried by the whole disaster of the golden calf. But the other major event that's taking place there is the tablets are getting smashed. Of course, the walls of the first base of Migdash are getting breached as well. There are other things that happened that day. But but let's contrast that to Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, Moshe Rabbeinu comes down from Mount Sinai with the tablets intact. That's amazing. And those are the tablets that we then have from then on. From here on are those tablets, the one that came down on Yom Kippur. So now with that in mind, I want to tell you the following. Give you a whole nother perspective on the soul cleansing of Yom Kippur. You see, when Moshe is on firm ground with the tablets, you know what that means? The highest light in heaven is coming all the way down to us on the ground, right? Because Moshe's here with the tablets on the ground. The highest light in heaven is coming all the way down to us on Yom Kippur, and that is the soul cleansing of Yom Kippur. You understand? It reaches all the way down to us in a way that it never did before. And that's just, ah, that, that light is reaching us till this day, every Yom Kippur, and that's the soul cleansing of Yom Kippur. So you see an amazing correlation between embracing Torah, having Torah, and having your soul cleansed. An amazing correlation is there. Okay. So now... I want to I want to go deeper and I want to say over something that I think is is was one of my biggest take home lessons from Yom Kippur and that is I want to quote the uh the the musician Kanye West he says you're not perfect. But you're not your mistakes. And this is something that I think all of us really have to give a lot of thought to, because there's a giant life lesson here. Okay, huge life lesson here. Because I was thinking about this. And you know, there is someone in our at the happy minion who's you know, he's a doctor, very rational guy. Very sweet, holy guy. And he he told me, kind of in confidence, and then he shared it with the rest of us, but he said that he was standing in the front of the shul and he looked at the shul, at Neilah, like the apex of Yom Kippur, and he said, everyone was glowing. Right? Amazing, amazing, amazing. So your soul, that's you, You're, that, that's you, that's you, that's your soul. But now I'm going to just add on an extra insight, okay? Let me tell you what I think everybody does. And I don't think anyone does this on purpose. And I think it happens very slowly over time so that you don't even know, we're not even aware that we're doing it and that it's happening. OK, these are the most insidious things, by the way, that's it. if you need a, a formula for what is the most insidious, th- that that's it. Something that happens incrementally, very slowly over time, such that you don't even know that it's happening. These are the type of things that we absolutely need to get insight into and control over. OK, so so here it is. A person has a dream and I'm talking about like a, 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 a goal in life, right? A wish, a wish, a dream. And slowly, 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 they equate that dream, that goal, with who they are. Meaning, I am that. I am the person who wants to achieve that. And then, because life is just life, and very unpredictable, oftentimes, that goal doesn't take place, or that dream doesn't take place. And then we reach this conclusion, we have failed. I have failed. I am a failure. Because I had this dream and I pursued this dream for who knows how long, and it didn't happen. Therefore, I am a failure. But let's go back to this idea. You're not perfect, but you're not your mistakes. Who are you? You are a soul. You are this shining, sparkly soul. That's that's who you are. And even your dreams are not you. Do, Do you understand? And by the way, I shared this on Shabbos. And someone came up to me afterwards, and he said something awesome. And I I said, you know, I want to add that. if, If I say this again, I want to add it. He said, you're also not your achievements. And I thought, wow, that's so important to know also. Because sometimes the opposite's true. We have a certain goal, we have this like dream, and we actually achieve it. And then we delude ourselves into thinking, that's who I am. I'm the chief executive officer, right? I'm the general. That's who I am. Well, you're not that either. You're a soul. And you're not just a a soul. What is a soul? A soul is a piece of God, which means you are amazing, You're amazing. You're amazing. You're amazing. You're amazing. It works out. It doesn't work out. You're amazing. You are amazing. That's who you are. That's what you are. And to maintain that clarity is really important. And I'll tell you something. When do you think it's easy to maintain that clarity? When you're depressed, or when you're in a place of giving thanks, is it even a question? If you're depressed, you're just thinking you're your own mistakes. If you're in a place of thanks, then you understand. I'm a soul. I'm a pure soul. Do you understand? That that's Ralph Frumer is communicating that to us. How do I know if I have clarity? I'm in a place of giving thanks. And when I'm in a place of giving thanks, I remember, you know what I am? of my soul. <laughs> That's who I am. Okay, now I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper. There's this amazing Rashi that I ran across that just blew my mind. And, you know, you have to think about this Rashi, because he, he's not going to spell it out the way I'm going to spell it out. But everything I'm saying, I think Rashi is saying, okay? So let me just first tell you just straight out what Rashi says. There's this, this Pussuk, this verse in Devarim, in Deuteronomy. If you want to look it up, it's chapter 29, verse 3. And uh, you can actually start reading um, verse 1, 1 through 3. Because there's this like really phenomenal sequence of of, of, of things that, that Moshe Rabbeinu says, Moses, that, that are surprising. So he first starts off with something like very, very straightforward. Okay. Moshe says, you saw with your own eyes what I did to Paro and to his slaves and everything like this. Okay. Very good. Then in verse three, he says the following, until now... You didn't have a heart that knows, or eyes that see, or ears that hear. <laughs> so, wait a second. He just said, You just saw with your own eyes. One breath ago, he says, You saw with your own eyes. And now, Moshe says, Until today, these are the key words, and Rashi's gonna explain what until today means. Until today, you didn't have a heart that knows, or eyes that see, or ears that hear. So, something happened. We thought we saw, but we didn't see. We didn't eat. We didn't see until today. So what happened today? So Rashi says, until today, shamati I heard, and he says the following the following teaching. He says. On this, remember, Moshe Rabbeinu is giving his farewell address to the Jewish people, and he's getting toward the end now. And on this day, Moshe wrote a Sefer Torah. He wrote a a Torah scroll. And he gave it to the Kahanim and to the Leviim, And he told them, keep it by the Ark of the Covenant, right? Where the luchos, where the tablets are. This, This Torah scroll. And the other Jews... The rest of the Jewish people said, hey, hey, wait a second. What are you doing? You know, all of us were at Mount Sinai also. You're giving the Torah to the tribe of Levi? It could be that one day they're going to say the Torah was given to us and not to you. Well, wait a second. The Torah was given to us too. So you're giving them a Torah scroll, and you're not giving us a Torah scroll. The Torah is also ours. So, what? How do you? How do you think Moshe Rabbeinu reacted? And the answer is, he was overjoyed. He loved it. He rejoiced when when they said that, and then he said, now the torah is really yours right because now you fought for it see now we got to unpack this cuz there's so much here i can't even tell you <laughs> remember remember what is what is this coming to explain that once this event happened We were given a heart that knows, eyes that see, and ears that hear. Something that we never had until that moment. And you know what that means to me? You know how I want to explain it? What does it mean, eyes that see? Now that we've fought to have the Torah, we've internalized it. You see, I've got to explain it a little bit better. You can grow up in a Jewish home, in a in a Torah observant home, and you can be keeping the mitzvahs your entire life. And from the outside, you seem like a very righteous person. It's all very beautiful. But until you fight for the Torah, and you say the Torah is mine, and no one is going to take it away from me, you haven't internalized it. You can go from birth to 80 years old and, you know, like on paper, like if someone's going to grade your life, tzaddik, you're at tzaddik. And yet it was all on the outside. <laughs> Until someone says on the inside, the Torah is mine and no one's going to take it away from me. They haven't been given eyes that see and ears that hear. And a heart that knows. So what does it mean, eyes that see? You're given eyes to see the world like Hashem sees the world. You're given ears to hear other people like Hashem sees them. And a heart that understands, right? Everything becomes like It just, it just, it takes a quantum leap. It takes a quantum leap. So, so I remember, I'll tell you a big turning point in my spiritual journey. I think I was 24 or something like that. I was living in a house up in the Hollywood Hills. We called it the the Institute of Higher Leisure. We had a big swimming pool. We used to jump off the roof into the swimming pool and it was like a, a crazy, crazy house. I lived with a bunch of uh, comedy writers, right? And I remember lying on on my bed, and I was just thinking, was thinking, thinking. And for whatever reason, I never questioned that uh, that God gave us the Torah at Mount Sinai, even though I wasn't, I didn't, I grew up in a Reform family, right? I wasn't given a Torah education from birth. And I remember when I was young sitting with my sister at the the dinner table and I asked her I said what's the difference between reform conservative and orthodox and she said to me well the orthodox believe that god gave the torah to the jewish people on mount sinai and I said oh yeah that's me <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't let her go any further than that I just Never questioned that God gave us the Torah at Mount Sinai. And so here I am, like 24 years old, I'm lying on my bed, right? I had been writing for TV shows at this point for about three years. And and I thought to myself, and this is going to sound so obvious. That's what's hilarious about this. What I'm about to tell you is going to sound so obvious, but it went off like an atomic bomb in my brain, Okay which was, if God gave us the Torah at Mount Sinai, that means I have to keep it. <laughs> like I never made that, I actually never made that association. Can you imagine? One was a historical fact very removed from me. I never like connected the dots that that means that I have to keep it too. And that was a giant, giant turning point in my life. Okay. But now what I'm saying is even deeper than that. That's on the level that I have to keep it. But am I fighting for it? (laughs) That's next level. That's next level. See, because if it's just on the level of now I understand that I have to keep it, it's outside in. Outside in is... You know, as Reb Shlomo would say, outside in, it's sweet and it's cute. (laughs) But if you want eyes that see and ears that hear and a heart that knows and raise your hand if you don't want that. (laughs) I see no hands. (laughs) Then you have to fight for it. Then you have to say, This is mine, and no one's going to take it from me. And then everything changes. So, so this is what's going on in Yom Kippur. In Yom Kippur, you realize I'm a soul, and I'm shining. And everything is as it's supposed to be. And I'm in a place of clarity. And I'm giving thanks. And I realize that I don't need a reason to be happy. Because when I'm most myself, I'm already happy. And now you walk into the sukkah. Is there any explanation that needs to be given at this point why the time of our happiness, Zman, follows Yom Kippur? I mean, everything is in equilibrium and in the most cosmic way. Because what does the sukkah represent? The sukkah represents the fact that this whole world, this whole life is temporary. And instead of holding on to the temporariness of it all and clutching it and I'm not letting it go and know if it disappears, I disappear. No, no. I walk into it and I embrace the temporariness of life. I embrace the temporariness of this world and I go, it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Because you know why? All of us live forever. You have life inside the body. And then it transitions to life outside the body. But the constant is life. I know I'm not going anywhere. Certainly God's not going anywhere. And it's just like, here it is. Here's the epic journey. Here's the epic, here's the epic, epic, epic ride that we're all on together. All of us together, by the way. All of us together. The sukkas, these huts that we're dwelling in, right? And if you can sleep in it, it's great, okay? It's, it's, it's a wonderful experience to sleep in your sukkah if you can do it. And ideally, by the way, we're supposed to do it if we can, so. But anyway... The sukkahs are what we encamped in during our 40 years in the desert. And it remained a mitzvah so that even when we went into the land of Israel, we continued on on sukkot to live in sukkahs. And we're still living in sukkahs. In other words, the journey from... Mitzrayim, from Egypt to Israel, that 40-year period, is a microcosm of going from exile to Mashiach, which means that journey that we started when we left Egypt, in sukkahs, all of us, all around the world, are still on that journey together in sukkahs toward redemption. It's the same unbroken journey that we're all still on in the same way. It hasn't stopped. And it's the same players. It's the same players. Because guess what? We believe in reincarnation. We're all doing it. And we're still doing it. That's the mind-blowing thing. And we're still doing it the same way. It's amazing. And I'll just tell you something about journeys. If you continue to put one foot in front of the other on a long journey, but you don't stop putting one foot in front of the other, the most amazing thing happens you arrive. <laughs> the moment comes where you actually get there. And, you know, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. So, in terms of understanding what a sukkah is and tying it in, the haftorah, the words of the prophets that we read on sukkahs, talks about this apocalyptic war between the Jewish people and, and Gogu Magog. So that's the name of just the the ultimate counterforce to God. And Rabbi shimshin Rafoyl Hirsch says that Gog, which is his name, actually means roof. So now let's think about that, because there's tremendous wisdom in this. And you, you'll see it's a, like a very... Beautiful piece of imagery here. What do we do when we're reading about Mr. Roof, who is Mr. Exile, Mr. All Out War? Why would he have the name Roof? At the time when we're in a Sukkah, now remember, the key element for making a Sukkah is the roof. It's got to be this thatched roof, it's got to be made out of porous material meaning to say you have to be able to see the stars through it. And it has to be made out of a dhamma, out of something from the ground, some vegetation. So it could be palm fronds. It could be bamboo. It it could be a number of different things. But you know what? It can't be a roof. (laughs) It can't be this permanent dwelling. Now, think visually for a moment what does a roof offer you? Security. In fact, it's not by coincidence that it's almost become a a poetic turn of phrase that everyone uses. I want a roof over my head. Why do people say that? A roof over my head? What, What does that mean? That means a sense of security. So why is the word roof identified With the arch enemy of goodness. Because now think visually a roof is a separation between heaven and earth. (laughs) What is the schach, our roof, in a sukkah? It's this open, porous boundary, not separating heaven from earth, that there should just be a flow from above down to below that the whole world is one coherent whole within God's oneness, and that God is as present in our dimension as he is in the highest heavens. He's more concealed, but there's no contradiction. Imagine you walk into the kitchen, and there's a pot of chicken soup on the stove, and that pot of chicken soup is covered. Because the pot of chicken soup is covered, do you say there is no chicken soup in the pot? <laughs> It's 100% there. It happens to be covered, but it's no less there. God is 100% present with us right now. He's more concealed, but there's no contradiction between him being present and being concealed. So what does Gog say? What does this arch enemy say? I am going to have security. I'm going to have independence from God. I'm going to cut earth off from heaven and this will be my realm not yours my realm and everything on that list of things that I just said is completely the opposite of Torah so that that's why he's Mr. roof okay that's why his name means roof because it's that separation that dividing line between heaven and earth the point is is that, this is a very basic life management thing. You, you want a roof. You want a roof, right? And all of us live in houses with legitimate roofs. But once a year, we say, you know something? I don't want a roof. <laughs> I don't want a roof. Because I don't want any part of my soul to actually believe that my security comes from the money in the bank or from burglar alarms or from locks on doors, once a year, I want it ingrained in my soul that all of my protection comes straight from heaven. And that's sukkahs, and that's clarity, and that's happiness, and that's thanks.